Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. In a world where the truth is meticulously controlled by the government, every record, every piece of history is carefully curated to fit a specific narrative. As a government archivist, my days were filled with sifting through documents, ensuring that the official history remained untarnished. My name is Eva, and I was a cog in this intricate machine of manipulation, until the day I stumbled upon a cache of classified government files that shattered everything I thought I knew. It was an ordinary day, 
or so it seemed, as I delved into a pile of documents marked with a level of classification that sent a shiver down my spine. I expected the usual mundane reports, but what I found was beyond comprehension. The files contained evidence of over 5,000 cryptids that had been encountered since 2023, creatures that defied explanation, lurking in the shadows of our carefully constructed reality. As I read through the reports, my heart raced with a mixture of excitement and fear. These documents had the power to rewrite history to expose the hidden truths that the government had been suppressing for years. The existence of these cryptids challenged everything I had been taught to believe, and I knew that the world deserved to know the truth. My decision was made in an instant. I had to expose this revelation to the public. But I was not alone in my discovery. As I meticulously gathered evidence and pieced together the puzzle, I could feel the eyes of powerful forces upon me. A brilliant but enigmatic sea operative named Donovan and a stern army general named Harrington began pursuing me relentlessly. The chase was on and I found myself in a deadly game of cat and mouse. Donovan's intellect was matched only by his resourcefulness, and he seemed to anticipate my every move. General Harrington, on the other hand, was a force of military precision, using his influence to cut off my escape routes and corner me at every turn. With each step I took to expose the truth, the danger escalated. Donovan and Harrington were not just trying to silence me. They were trying to control the narrative, to maintain the government's iron grip on information. The more I uncovered, the clearer it became that the cryptids were not just anomalies. They possessed powers beyond our understanding, powers that could tip the balance of power in unimaginable ways. As the pursuit intensified, I found myself torn between my duty to reveal the truth and the overwhelming fear of the consequences. Were these cryptids truly the key to a new era of enlightenment, or were they harbingers of chaos? The more I learned, the less certain I became. Unfortunately, I failed. Once they caught me, they told me that they'll not only kill me, but all my family if I continue to leak the forbidden information. I had to comply, at least for now. I was on a weekend canoeing trip for rest and relaxation in a remote area of Rough River State Park, Kentucky. The date was June 24, 2003. Strangely, I felt queasy and anxious for some unknown reason, as if I had something to fear. Heeding these sensations, I was extremely cautious on the river. After several miles, I paddled the canoe to the riverbank and tied it off to a tree. I got out to explore the area. Looking eight, ten feet downstream, I spotted what looked like the top of a gray clay jar peeking out of the water. My first thoughts were that I might have found a native people's artifact. I started down the bank toward the creek, which was extremely slippery with mud. I stopped just short of the water and very close to the old earthenware pot. It was more like a clay crock, and I soon realized that it probably wasn't very old. I poked at it and noticed there were small handprints on it. I thought they could have been raccoon prints, but they were more like little human handprints, about an inch wide. I tried to pry the thing loose using a stick, but suddenly heard a noise. I heard what sounded like children laughing in the distance. 
The sound was coming from downstream. When I managed to pull the crock jar out of the mud, something let out a scream. It sounded like a little girl, very high, pitched and loud, not knowing what to do. I grabbed the jar and began to scramble up the muddy bank. Glancing back, I thought I saw something move along the creek. I stopped and sat at the top of the bank for a moment, looking at the jar, trying to comprehend the handprints. After a few minutes, I laid the crock down, got up and walked along the creek, stopping every once in a while to peek through the bushes to see if anybody was there. At one point, I looked over the bank and noticed two little people standing about one foot tall. They had pale skins, little brown leather pants held up by suspenders, no shirts, and little pointy hats made of what looked like leather. They had leather foot coverings that went up past the ankle. Their hair was reddish in color and their eyes blue. Their hands were only about an inch wide. They knew I was watching, but they continued their task of pulling some kind of wooden stump down the muddy creek bank with long leather ropes or a string. These little men were surprisingly clean for the work they were doing. I then heard a thump back where I first had gone in the creek. I looked back, and there were three more of the little men, exactly like the first two. They had pushed the crock jar back down the bank. They were all laughing, high-pitched laughter like a bunch of kids. I then heard a loud snap, and they were all gone. Their footprints were plainly visible in the mud, but they were gone along with the crock jar and the wooden stump. They had vanished in a split second. I walked around in an attempt to pick up a trail, but to no avail. I continued my trip with no other incidents. As a National Guard agent, I have seen my fair share of crises, but nothing, nothing could prepare me for this. Our orders were clear, secure the classified government facility, ensure no information leaks. Standard protocol for a security breach, or so we thought. We arrived at the facility in Colorado, a nondescript concrete block hidden in the heart of the desert under the cover of darkness. The main gate was busted open. Inside, it looked like a war zone. The place was ransacked, claw marks etched into the steel walls, blood splatters staining the white tile floors. But there was no sign of the perpetrators, no sign of life at all. As we delved deeper, we stumbled upon something straight out of a horror movie. The facility wasn't just a data center, it was a lab. A lab filled with cages. And in those cages, we found the unthinkable. There were creatures, grotesque, monstrous hybrids of humans and animals. Some were dead, victims of the breakout, but many cages were empty. They'd escaped. We soon learned what these creatures were, chimeras born of illegal genetic experiments, unholy fusions of man and beast. They were unlike anything we'd ever seen. They were intelligent, strong, and deadly. They were the security breach we were here to contain. The hunt was on. We tracked the chimeras through the sprawling facility, each encounter more deadly than the last. These creatures were not mindless beasts. They used their human intelligence combined with their animalistic abilities to evade and attack us. They were the perfect soldiers, and we were their prey. Meanwhile, we began to uncover the truth. We found documents, reports, and video logs detailing the creation of these chimeras. This was a government, 
state-sanctioned project funded by taxpayers, hidden from the public eye. The goal was to create a new kind of soldier, one with enhanced strength, speed, and resilience. Each document we discovered was more disturbing than the last. They had been playing God, and now we were paying the price. We fought the chimeras day and night using every ounce of our training to outsmart and outmaneuver them. Each encounter left us more drained and desperate, but we couldn't let these creatures escape into the outside world. In the midst of this chaos, we found allies in unexpected places. Some of the facility staff had survived the breakout. They were as horrified by the project as we were, and they helped us understand the chimeras better. Their insights proved invaluable in our fight. We finally cornered the last of the chimeras in the heart of the facility. It was the most human of them all, a chilling testament to the extent of the experiments conducted here. It fought savagely, but in the end, we managed to subdue it. Once the facility was secure, we had to confront the reality of what we'd uncovered. The conspiracy ran deep, reaching into the highest echelons of power. Our superiors demanded silence. But we couldn't let this atrocity be swept under the rug. August 1994 the month, year, and the memory are permanently etched into my mind. I'm Becky Katz, just an ordinary bookshop customer from Astoria, Oregon. That day, my son and I had decided to take a break from the city noise and spend the day collecting mushrooms near the fish hatchery by Blind Slaw, 18 miles away from Astoria off the Columbia River. We had been at it since early morning, and it was around 8.30 a.m. when it happened. The morning mist was still lingering around the trees, the air crisp and clean. As we carefully navigated through the undergrowth, a sudden rustle caught our attention. We turned towards the noise, and that's when we saw it. It was a figure, gray-brown and larger than any man I'd ever seen. Its body was covered in thick, matted fur, and it had an unmistakable wildness about it. It looked somewhat like a bearded hunter, but its size and stature were far from human. I remember the moment our eyes met. It was only a split second, but it felt like an eternity. There was a look of surprise, maybe even fear, in its eyes. And then, just as suddenly as it had appeared, it turned and ran away, disappearing into the dense forest. My son and I were frozen in place, shock and fear rendering us motionless. When we finally came to our senses, we ran in the opposite direction, not stopping until we had reached the safety of our car. As we drove back home, we kept replaying the incident over and over in our heads. We were both trying to make sense of what we had seen. After some discussion, we arrived at the only possible explanation that made sense. We had seen Bigfoot. I still remember the feeling of disbelief, the adrenaline rush, and the fear... But more than that, I remember the sense of awe and wonder. We had witnessed something extraordinary that day, something few people get to see in their lifetimes. Since that day, our mushroom-collecting trips have been filled with a sense of anticipation and excitement. We never saw the creature again, but the memory of that day remains as vivid as ever. It was a reminder that there are still mysteries in this world, waiting to be discovered, and sometimes those mysteries find you when you least expect them. 
Spy Officer Lamesh reported a terrifying sighting of what I believed to be the legendary Mothman. My sighting occurred on highway in Wyoming. Suddenly, in front of me, right above a slow-moving car, was a figure of a man with his wings folded in across his back. The wings appeared to be leathery in texture, like a bat's, and were even pointed on the ends. A sort of sting protruded from the creature's belt line. I stopped my car and tried to get out when I saw the creature taking off in flight at an incredible speed. I would describe it as follows. It stood between six and seven feet tall, had a wingspan over fourteen feet wide from tip to tip, and large glowing red eyes. It flew at an angle towards the east. It made no noise other than a whooshing sound like air through its wings. It had claws on its feet and something on its back looking like two cylinders. I reported my sighting to the local PD where I was left at, ridiculed and finally forced into early retirement for psychological reasons. I was told that if I reported another sighting of this kind, I would be brought up on charges of mental instability. It's interesting to note that I am extremely well respected within the community. I'm an upstanding member of society with no history of family or personal mental illness or alcoholism. I am very much a regular guy with a wife and kids. This has been one hard creature to research due to the reluctance of people involved in the case that are willing to talk about it. I immediately went and checked the area where I think I initially came across something which was just a short distance away. The road on which I saw it circles around comes back up on the top of itself in an oval-like shape, with gravel roads going out in different areas of the farm. We were not able to find anything, but even my son said he thinks he saw something by one of those houses. It's no longer there, but maybe even a garden plot that had been abandoned long ago. The land has been farmed for probably decades now before being converted into pasture land. The entire sighting lasted approximately three seconds from me, seeing it while driving until it was fully gone. Since the sight was airborne from my recollection, it was extremely large, stood right next to a tree. I saw eyes shine, and the eyes were large as well, with what appeared to be claws on its feet. The creature had long hair, or fur, all over it. Most of it was covered by something that I said appeared like a cape or wings, even covering most of its body lengths. I couldn't tell if they were web, but they were definitely something attached to it which we may have thought. I'm 100% positive I saw this and am actually very shaken up about it since I clearly have no explanation for it. My car stopped working immediately after the sighting, so I believe there's some sort of electrical interference occurring at the time. I believe it stood about seven foot tall, dark in color, wings folded across its back and extended like a stingray. My car stopped working after it took off into the air at an angle towards the eastern direction. But due to the electrical interference with my radio, which was turned off at the time of the sighting, which is also noted with other Mothman encounters, we were not able to find any evidence of anything. But we both believe I saw something and would like to help finding what I saw. I have two stories. First was about 1997, opening weekend deer season Central California. I was sitting at camp after setting up the Thursday before the opener, had a campfire going, 
This was base camp for the whole season, so we set up everything, sitting by the fire just best. In with my cousin, when three lights started making their way up the hill, about eight feet off the ground, I thought they were possibly fireflies, none. This side of the Sierras are maybe sparks loading from another fire. As they got closer, I realized they were about baseball-sized and pretty consistently bright. They made their way up the side of the mountain, watched them for a good four to five minutes. They didn't fade, just went over the hill out of sight. No drugs or alcohol involved, just some bright lights and weird feelings all weekend, like being watched. Second was probably no more than three miles from the first place, opening weekend again, but this was about four years ago. Moving along the edge of a meadow, my 14-year-old nephew with me for his first archery deer hunt. I have bear tag as well. He points and whispers, bear. I see it about 100 yards, pulling a log apart, looking for grubs. Wind in my favor, so I start stalking. Got to about 60 yards, pull the rangefinder, start putting it away, and the wind swirled. I feel it on the back of my neck. The bear stands up on two legs. Not a bear, whatever it was, was about seven feet, covered in black hair, half turned to me and walked away. On two legs, silently, not super surprised by that, it was on a bed of pine needles. Was shooting light but dark in the meadow. Wasn't a bear and it was big. Okay, so I live in Australia. I wasn't sure where to post this, but someone on another page recommended to post this here. It's currently autumn, and I live on the outskirts of a major city, still in the suburbs. This happened yesterday in late afternoon when I went to hang some watching on the line under our carport, attached to side of house. We were starting to lose daylight, so thought I'd quickly pop out and hang up the last of the washing for the day. It was increasingly getting darker by the minute. I had just begun hanging clothes when I started to get an uneasy feeling. I'm unsure why. I brushed it off as it I was losing daylight quickly. A minute later, I heard a group of kids up the other end of the street screaming and then silence. Again, I brushed it off as the kids just being kids and playing with each other. The intensity of unease grew and I felt like I was being watched. I then heard a low growl, which was unlike anything I'd ever heard, and the air got significantly colder, and all the crickets and bugs went silent. I moved the clothes rack to outside the carport so I could use what little light there was to hurry this up as much as possible, which hanging and scanning around between picking up the next piece of clothing, I noticed something new. This dense garden that wrapped around our U-shaped drive looked poor like it had been trampled in a decent section, maybe 13 feet of the garden. I intensely felt I was really being watched by something, and right before finishing the clothes, the feeling started to ease off a little, and it began to warm back up like it was when I initially came outside. I was raised with big dogs, rotwheelers, German shepherds, etc., and grew up in rural countryside. I've heard all kinds of animal sounds from wild dogs, foxes, collars fighting, possums, and bats. I have never in my life heard a growl like this before, and I don't know how to explain it, but it did not sound natural. It sounded closest to a dog, but something about it was very wrong. 
before going outside, my indoor cat desperately wanted outside. Once I came inside, she was acting completely different, skulking around and all fur puffed up. She then was following me at my ankles around the house. Not normal for her. We have a lot of bushland surrounding us and live next to a river. Behind us, I don't fish in that river anymore as I've always felt like someone was around. For the past few months, something has been harassing this entire house. It only happens at night. It's only been seen twice, and it's only been towards women and anyone under 18. My best friend's little brother looks like a grown man, but he's 16, if that's important. When I saw it, it was sunset, but it wasn't really an animal. It was someone really tall, somewhere between 6 feet 6 5. It was standing in the woods, kind of far away, really pale like someone had never been in the sun, blonde hair, black shirt, I couldn't see the pants, and its face wasn't visible. It was looking straight down. The arms were really long, too. I was about to leave, and I thought it was a person, so I said they weren't allowed on our property. It's a rental, if that's important. It just spun around and took off, never lifting its head. It was really fast, like it almost disappeared fast. When my best friend's mom saw it, she described the same thing, but with jeans and said it was closer to six feet. Six feet seven. It was in the same area that I saw it. This time it was sunrise. Ever since then, any time I've had to go outside at night, I go pick my best friend up at midnight five times a week from work. If I say anything, it mimics me. Sometimes its voice matches mine. Sometimes it sounds like a woman. Sometimes it sounds like a man. Sometimes I can't tell. It's all coming from the same area I saw that thing. My best friend's sister keeps having the same thing happen to her. All in the same spot in the woods. We all, aside from the three men in the house, keep hearing animal noises, but they don't really sound like animals. I saw a shadow outside of my window last week, and my best friend's little brother keeps having someone tap his window at night. The windows are on the opposite side of the house from where we keep hearing and seeing everything, and the little brother's window is close to 15 feet off the ground. The shadow I saw went above my window almost five feet off the ground and three feet tall, and it was almost a combination of a human and a deer. Like it was a hunched-over person with something sticking out of its head, and it had a snout. Last night when I was leaving, late-night Walmart run, I walked outside and something screamed and started crying. I yelled for my best friend and ran back in while it was mimicking me. Nobody else heard it, and it stopped when he went outside. I made sure not to say anything when I went outside last night, but it still happened, so it's definitely watching us. I don't think we've done anything to upset anyone, and none of us are natives unless you count the several generations back everyone in my area has. But I don't because none of us ever actually lived like Native Americans. But we do live about a 20-minute drive from what used to be a home to Mississippian Indians. I'm sorry if that's not the proper name. It was turned into a museum that is now run by their descendants. I live in Alabama, about a four-hour drive from Mississippi and Tennessee. Is this a skinwalker, or is it something else? I just want to get rid of whatever this is. The dogs won't go out at night, and normally I can sense energies, but I can't anymore. 
It's really freaking me out. It's daytime, so I'm not concerned right now, and it's never hurt us either. Just whatever information I can be given would be helpful right now. Update, kinda, not really. I took some advice someone mentioned and tried to keep quiet and not react in any way the last few days. It went well until today. I was walking my son to the car just now, and he said hi to something in the woods. Not once, not twice, but three times. He waved the last time. It did not respond, but I about shit my pants, because that means he can see whatever it is. When I was about 15 or 16, I was walking my uncle's dog. His name was Zeus, and he was an American bulldog, and loved me and all his family, obviously. So one night, I'm taking him to Little Dog Park. They had on the military base we were stationed at in Germany. We were walking on this path through like a courtyard of these four buildings. As I was looking ahead, I thought I saw somebody under the streetlight, but I didn't pay it any attention. I was like maybe 100 or so feet away, I'm not sure. As we got closer, Zeus slowed down to what I thought I saw. Before at this point looked like it was seven feet tall, but could have also been taken as like a shadow. It was weird. I started walking to it. I just wanted to make sure I wasn't tripping or going crazy seeing things. At this point, I'm like pulling Zeus to walk with me and see what's going on. The closer we got, the shadow thing started taking form. By the time we were like 30 to 25 feet, I saw like a 10-feet hooded figure, and you couldn't see a face or anything in the hood. It was like a void. Zeus started barking, which he never does, and I was like frozen for a second and dropped the leash, and he took off running. I snapped out of it and took off running too, and nothing happened to us. About eight years later, I saw it again while out in Atlanta one night. The night that changed everything for me began like any other night. I was visiting my grandparents and sleeping in my grandmother's bed, as I always did. However, something strange and frightening happened that I couldn't explain. I woke up in the middle of the night, feeling a strange tickling sensation on the back of my neck. I tried to swat away whatever was bothering me, but the feeling persisted. That's when I turned around and saw it. A pale human hand with long, sharp black nails. It was attached to a figure wearing a monk's robe, and everything beyond the hand was just an unnatural blackness. As I watched, the hand reached out and touched me, and a voice whispered in a calm but dark tone, Follow me, where we will go. It is beautiful. Despite feeling scared, I somehow remained calm and replied, No, I don't want to. But the figure was persistent, and it responded with a more forceful voice. Believe me, you want to come with me. That's when I screamed and turned to my grandmother, who was dazed and claimed that I was dreaming. But the encounters didn't stop there. On another occasion, I was in bed, and my mom had just left the room with the lights still on. When I turned back to the door, I saw a figure made of pure blackness with bright green glowing eyes. I called out to my grandmother, but there was no answer. I turned away and back, but the figure was still there. And then suddenly it was gone. It wasn't until 12 years later that I would hear a similar story from my stepfather. 
He told me that he had been up in the middle of the night to use the bathroom when a shadowy figure with glowing green eyes had touched him. He even had a red handprint on his shoulder as proof. He had no knowledge of my experiences, which made it all the more eerie. To this day, I still don't know what I encountered or why, but I do know that those experiences left an indelible mark on me, and I will never forget them. One of the scariest things that has ever happened to me occurred while I had to take a bunch of kids from the local church group camping. I was only around 18 at the time and one of the youth leaders of the group, mainly because it was going to look good on my college manuscript. There was around 10 little kids, me and another youth leader, we'll call her Tammy, and then two adults, Mr. and Mrs. Love, that really was their name. They ran the Sunday school, and this was an overnight treat for the kids who were all pretty young. I want to say around 8 to 11. We did all the usual camp stuff until it got to the evening. While roasting s'mores, one of the kids asked for a ghost story, but Mr. Love said he wasn't going to scare them. I guess the Bible is scary enough, but to make up for no spooky stuff, he would allow a quick game of manhunt in the dark as long as they all stuck to in and around the tents in the first row of trees. If he blew the whistle, they all came straight back, and whether they'd been found or not, Mr. and Mrs. Love and two of the kids would be seekers, and Tammy and I would hide along with the rest of the kids. I figured since I wasn't ten, I could bend the rules ever so slightly. I ran back a bit further into the trees. I planned to sneak out when I thought I was close to being the last to be found, feeling pretty smug as it was really dark back here and there, was no way I'd be found until I spring out. It was super quiet as all the kids were desperately trying not to give away their hiding spot. It became really obvious when I heard this sort of banging noise behind me as it amplified all throughout the trees. I just remember thinking I'm going to be given away by a raccoon or something or a possum. There was some wrestling, and then all of a sudden, I was blinded as the thing making the noise flipped on a light. I don't think I've ever been so terrified or screamed so loud in my life. There was a guy who stood behind me, only I couldn't see his face properly, like he had a stocking over it, kind of like how you see in the movies about bank robbers. As soon as I screamed and saw him, he ran. I just stood there screaming until Mr. Love suddenly appeared from the other side and grabbed hold of me, asking what had happened. Was I hurt? He took me back to camp at that point as I could just speak. I was so scared. When we got there, and this had all taken just a few moments, everybody was back. I told them what I'd seen, and all the kids began crying. The adults knew me well enough to know there was no way I would make something like this up. So Mrs. Love called the cops on her cell phone, while Mr. Love got everybody to huddle together and put all of her flashlights on. The police showed up and checked out the area. Of course, it was super hard to see anything in the dark, but they checked pretty thoroughly, and I even showed them the exact spot that I had seen the mysterious man. There was no trace of him or anybody else. And they ended up helping to drive all the kids home, as really nobody wanted to spend the night. The next morning, they went back again, just to check for any evidence in the daylight. 
Now they were able to see a ton of weird carvings that had been very recently cut into the trees and several bullets and other sharp objects found on the floor, near to where I had apparently been standing. Had I possibly disturbed a wood, be mass murderer. Those are one of the things that will haunt me forever, knowing that I could have been killed. As a Navajo officer, I once encountered a white skeletal creature on the Navajo Indian Reservation in Arizona. Two others and I came across this thing one night while patrolling the desert near Shiprock. Initially, I thought it was a bear or some other kind of animal. It looked like something with high cheekbones and deep sudden eyes and had shorter arms with short front legs. I didn't realize it wasn't an animal until I got out of my patrol car to investigate. I noticed and heard the footfalls echoing off to either side and saw that there were no tracks. The creature was nearly seven feet tall. The other two witnesses, who requested anonymity, also said the animal was hairless and had carroty red eyes. I remember thinking it was the ugliest thing I've ever seen, and I felt a sensation akin to pins and needles when I looked at it. The creature disappeared before reaching a telephone booth. I contacted Navajo Tribal Police Chief Samuel Pete about my experience after reading newspaper accounts of sightings in northeastern Arizona, right near the Navajo Mountain. This is where others have reported seeing a giant man with white skin that leaves no tracks or scent behind. The report also included a local scientist theory that the animal was potentially a genetic aberration resulting from nuclear experiments in nearby Area 51, or quite possibly a descendant of a species of bear known to have been in the area thousands of years ago. A few days before my alleged encounter, two other Navajo officers had reported seeing a huge hairless dog that stood up about five feet tall in the same vicinity. On July 4th, a man named Leland Joel saw an unidentified five-foot-tall being with white skin and glowing green eyes running across a field, again leaving no tracks. Also, a retired military man said he saw another creature one night. His car suddenly stopped mid-drive for no apparent reason, suffering from electronic issues. He turned off the ignition turned on the lights and found that he was surrounded by several of these beings. These beings reportedly had glowing green eyes and fang-like teeth. They surrounded his car, and when he screamed, they appeared to just disintegrate into the air. As soon as they did, his entire car started up again, and he was able to successfully drive away. We're not exactly sure what we're dealing with, but there is definitely something supernatural lingering in the state of Arizona. The night was painted in eerie crimson as we arrived in the small European village. The rare lunar event known as the Red Moon hung heavily in the sky, casting an ominous glow over everything. We were an elite Navy SEAL team dispatched in response to a sudden surge of brutal attacks and mysterious deaths in the village. The locals whispered that the Red Moon had awakened ancient predators such as werewolves and wendigos that had long been dormant in the surrounding forests. Our mission was clear, protect the village and eliminate the threat. 
We fortified the village, employing every tactic and weapon at our disposal. Yet as the first howls echoed through the still night air, we understood that our military training had not prepared us for this. The cryptids were cunning, a deadly cat, and mouse game ensuing as we attempted to hunt them down. They were unlike any enemy we had ever faced. Creatures of nightmare and legend brought to life by the chilling light of the red moon. During our pursuit, we discovered an ancient artifact hidden within a nearby cave. It was a relic from a bygone era, pulsating with a power that seemed to resonate with the cryptids. We soon realized that this artifact held the ability to control these creatures, a revelation that opened our eyes to a far greater threat. A sinister cult, shrouded in the darkness of the forest, sought to harness this power. They planned to use the Red Moon and the artifact to awaken and control the predators for their own dark purposes. The stakes were suddenly far higher than we could have imagined. We were not just fighting for the survival of a village, but the entire world. We devised a plan to secure the artifact and defeat both the cult and the cryptids. It was a dangerous gambit, one that pushed us to our limits and beyond. We fought through the night, the eerie glow of the red moon casting long shadows as we engaged in a desperate battle against the cult and the fearsome cryptids. The air was thick with the scent of blood and fear, and we could hear the snarls and howls of the creatures as they closed in on us. With the artifact in our possession, we could feel its power surging through us, urging us to take control of the cryptids. But we knew that the price of such power was too high, that we could not allow ourselves to become like the cult that sought to exploit it. Instead, we used the artifact to weaken the connection between the cryptids and the Red Moon, disrupting the cult's control over them. As we fought our way through the cult's ranks, we were forced to confront the very essence of darkness that they worshipped. But we held strong our resolve unwavering, and with each member of the cult we defeated, we drew closer to ending their twisted plan. Finally, as dawn broke on the horizon and the red moon's grip on the world began to fade, we emerged victorious. The cult was dismantled, their dark purpose thwarted. The cryptids, now free from the influence of the artifact and the red moon, retreated into the depths of the forest, their primal rage subsiding. We had accomplished our mission, protecting the village, and preventing global chaos. Yet the experience had left its mark on each of us, a reminder of the darkness that lurked just beyond the boundaries of our understanding. As we left the village behind, we knew that we had witnessed something truly extraordinary, a glimpse into a world where the line between myth and reality was blurred. As we returned to our normal lives, the memory of that fateful night under the red moon remained etched in our minds, a testament to the strength and courage of those who dared to face the unknown. And though we could not predict what other mysteries lay waiting in the shadows, we knew that we would be ready to confront them when the time came. My friend Ryan and I had been planning a weekend getaway for quite some time. Both of us were outdoor enthusiasts, and we decided to explore the beautiful Surprise Lake, located southeast of Estacada, Oregon. Late last July, we finally had the chance to embark on this adventure. 
Ryan brought along his girlfriend, making it an exciting trio for the trip. Upon arriving at Surprise Lake, we were captivated by the serene beauty that surrounded us. The calm water, the lush greenery, and the melodic sounds of nature were a welcome escape from the hustle and bustle of city life. We decided to set up camp on the far side of the lake, away from any other visitors who might be in the area. As we explored the area, we came across a large V formation between two trees. To our surprise, we discovered long, soft brown and copper hairs, along with some white hairs tangled in the branches. Intrigued by this unusual finding, we speculated that something big must have passed between the trees, leaving the hairs behind. We continued our exploration, still discussing the mysterious hairs and what creature could have left them. The sun began to set, casting a warm glow over the lake and surrounding woods. As the darkness crept in, we suddenly heard a loud crashing sound coming from the nearby forest. Startled by the noise, we froze in our tracks, our hearts pounding in our chests. The crashing grew louder as if something large was moving through the woods in our direction. Fear quickly took over, and we realized that it was time to leave. Without hesitation, we grabbed our belongings and hastily retreated to the safety of our campsite. We spent the night huddled together, our minds racing with thoughts of what could have been lurking in the forest. The mysterious hairs and the unexplained crashing sound left us with an eerie sense of unease that lingered throughout the night. Though we never discovered the source of the hairs or the sounds that spooked us, our trip to Surprise Lake became a story we'd recount for years to come. The experience taught us that, even in the most serene of places, the unknown can still surprise and frighten even the most adventurous souls. It was a Friday night, and the party was in full swing. The music was loud, the drinks were flowing, and everyone was having a great time. I, too, was enjoying the lively atmosphere when I noticed her. A beautiful girl with a smile that could light up the room. We exchanged glances, and before I knew it, we were chatting, laughing, and dancing together. As the night wore on, our connection grew stronger, and eventually we decided to leave the party together. I remember my friend watching us as we left, a knowing smile on his face. We spent the night wrapped in each other's arms, sharing secrets and exploring our desires. It was a night I would never forget. The following morning I woke to find her gone. I figured she must have left early and I was determined to find her again. I spent the next few months asking family, friends, and even total strangers about her, but nobody seemed to know who she was. The memory of our night together was so vivid, I couldn't fathom the idea that it was all just a figment of my imagination. Confused and desperate for answers, I decided to confront my friend, the one who had seen us leave the party together. I was sure he would have some information about her, but when I brought it up, he gave me a puzzled look. Man, you left the party alone that night, he insisted. I don't know what you're talking about. His words sent a shiver down my spine, and my mind raced to make sense of it all. Could I have been drugged or hallucinating? Was it all just a vivid dream? I couldn't accept any of these explanations. My memories of her were too real, too intense. As the years passed, I continued to search for her, but she remained an enigma. My one-night stand with a girl who didn't exist became a legend among my friends. 
and family a mystery that I would never solve. I often wonder if she was a figment of my imagination or perhaps a beautiful ghost who graced me with her presence for just one night. One thing is for sure, I will never forget her. The girl who didn't exist left an indelible mark on my heart, a reminder of the fleeting nature of love and the enigma of human connection. And even though I may never find her again, I'll always cherish the memories of our night together as they remain some of the most vivid and captivating moments of my life. On my 10th birthday, I went to Buenos Aires, Argentina, to see my mom's side of the family. There was a doll my mom had when she was a little kid. The doll was half the size of me. It was creepy. It sat in the storage room, which was right next to where I slept. It was about 1.30 a.m. for me, and I heard something crashing down and the storage room light turned on. Everyone jolted awake and the dog started barking. I was like, what was that? I turned the lights on, and I saw the doll, which was once on the chair, had fallen onto the floor. It somehow knocked over a cup, too. Let's just say the next few nights I spent there, I had difficulty sleeping. When I got back, I slept normally. A few years ago, in my undergrad, I was walking home from my class when I started feeling really sick. I have anxiety, and all of a sudden, my nerves shot up to a ten. I felt like I was going to puke, and I was shaky. I went and sat on a bench in this strip mall on campus where they basically have a lot of stores and restaurants. After a while, the nausea went away, and I just felt really, really tired. It was midterm season and I thought I was just exhausted, so I went inside this coffee shop to get coffee. While in line, I felt so sick again by the time I paid for my coffee, my anxiety was through the roof. I seriously thought maybe they'd messed up my meds or something. I walked home, put the coffee in the fridge, and laid down in bed where I couldn't sleep at all. After like half an hour of staring at the ceiling, I get this huge urge to call my dad. My dad is an amazing guy. But when it comes to mental illness, he sees it as kind of creepy weird. And so I've never talked about my anxiety with him. So I push away the feeling and figure it must just be that I'm desperate for someone to tell me everything's fine and frigging relax. His usual response when I'm anxious. Another hour or so goes by. I get a message on Facebook from my brother and I am so shaken. He tells me there was a gas leak at the factory where my dad works. The entire neighborhood had to evacuate and two people died. Later it came out that the police suspected it was A.S. by the mechanic and unfortunately he took a security guard out with him. Here's the thing. My dad is also a security guard. There are usually two of them on duty but halfway through driving to work. My dad realized he forgot his lunch and his access card, so he had to drive back home to get it. As he was getting ready to drive back again, his supervisor called him and told him not to go into work. There was a major gas leak. The rest of the night, I felt totally fine. I don't know what that was, but it creeps me out to this day. Since then, I've told myself no matter how weird it seems, I need to tell people when I feel like this. I told my dad about this years later, and he basically just said, Wow, thanks for not calling to warn me. 
but he's still really sad about his friend that he lost, so he doesn't like to talk about it much. The college I went to was pretty isolated and in the middle of nowhere. took me over an hour to get home each day. There was a lot of small trails and forest areas on and around campus to walk through, though. Me and my two friends at the time used to frequently walk down this wooded trail until we got to a little stone bridge going over a canal. We would take the steps and sit under the bridge, usually feeding the ducks. People who lived on the other side typically had boats and such to take down the canal. And I guess this guy was no exception. One day, this man walked past us, seemingly just going under the bridge to continue down the canal. He took a few steps out and then turned around to look at us. He said his name was Indy and started asking us about college and how often we came here. My friend, L, extremely tall and decently threatening if he wants to be, got a little defensive and he asked for our names. He said he had a boat on the river and pointed it out and asked if we could maybe just keep an eye on it whenever we are close by to make sure nothing happens to it, I guess. He'll agreed and pretended to take the guy's phone number and he left back the way he came. This boat looked like it hadn't been used in at least a year. It was filthy and slightly broken. We left soon after this encounter as we felt creeped out. Hale told everyone to not go back there alone, just in case he was a predator or something. I didn't listen and went back there to read about a week later. It was peaceful and got me off campus. However, he came back. I saw him walking back towards the bridge in the same direction he came from last time. Something in my gut told me to get out of there. So I grabbed my things and basically ran back to college. Since then, we've never seen that old boat or Indy ever again. Part of me wonders what happened to him, but the other is glad he didn't come back. My friend said they saw a cryptid when they were younger, around nine years ago, and that later they saw an image of it online. I've been searching for it, but with no luck. Please help me find it. Here's the description they gave me. It was brown and flaky looking, roughly human-sized, and walked backwards on all fours and had long, sharp tusks, like teeth that went downwards. They said it looked scary and like it could hurt them, but that wasn't aggressive. They saw it at night upon opening their back door in a city in New South Wales, Australia, and said that it scampered through their house and that it was somewhat fast. I asked if it was a wandering sigbin, and they said it wasn't. I couldn't believe it when I heard the news about Larry Doyle Sanders. I've known him for years, and while he's always been a little eccentric, I never thought he was capable of something like this. It all started with a fishing trip. Larry and his friend Jimmy Knighton went noodling on the South Canadian River last Saturday. I wasn't there, but I heard from others that something went wrong. A confrontation occurred, and Jimmy didn't make it out alive. When authorities questioned Larry about what happened, his story was even more bizarre than anyone could have imagined. He claimed that Jimmy was planning to feed him to Sasquatch, also known as Bigfoot. According to the affidavit obtained by the Oklahoman, Larry said that Jimmy intended to feed him to Sasquatch Bigfoot. Larry believed that Jimmy was trying to escape so that Sasquatch could eat him. 
He couldn't let that happen, so he punched and struck Jimmy with a stick, and they fought on the ground for an extended period of time. It's hard to know what to believe. Did Larry really think Jimmy was trying to feed him to Sasquatch? Or was it just an excuse for his violent behavior? Either way, it's a tragic situation. Jimmy's body was found in the river the next day, and Larry has been arrested and charged with first degree murder. I can't imagine what Jimmy's family is going through right now, and I'm sure Larry's family is in shock as well. It's a reminder that we never really know what someone is capable of, and how quickly a seemingly innocent situation can turn deadly. Sorry if add a ton of unnecessary details, but I don't know what is or is not relevant or important. Also, I'm unsure if this was a cryptic or black magic. This is my mom's encounter from the 60s when my mom was 15. I can't ask her really specific details because she hates talking about this encounter. When my mom was 15, she went with her aunt, aunt's friend, and two of her cousins to a small town near Cartagena, Colombia. They stayed with her other aunt, who apparently was into black magic or son. My mom emphasized how she believed that aunt's son should have murders her if he had the chance. Black magic aunt also had a black cat that my mother described as strange and demonic. They stayed with her black magic aunt for three days. On the second day, my mom, her normal aunt, and aunt's friend decided to punch holes into an old box trapped the cat, and put it on a car leading straight to Cartagena. That night they had their encounter. My mom said shortly after the sunset the house started to shake, it shook with such force that she believed that house would collapse. Her cousins were asleep before the house began to shake, but her aunt and aunt's friend were awake. The three of them cowered in fear for hours. My mom managed to fall asleep because prayed the rosary while focusing on a merry statue in her math class. In the morning after the house stopped shaking normal aunt and aunt's friend woke my mom and her cousins rushed them to a cab with their luggage and left before magic aunt or her son awoke. My mom has told this story thousands of times and I believe it to be 100% true. I'm curious about what she encounters that night and want to learn more about it. Any info will be greatly appreciated. I know it sounds like black magic, but that cat makes me wonder. Also, my mom did put food and water in the box, as well as tell the driver about the cat and to let it out when they reached the city. I still remember the eerie feeling I had that night. It was dark, and my friend and I were walking to the service station just five minutes away from my house. We were talking about the Australian skinny boys also, known as the NSW Body Snatchers, when I warned my friend not to look into the trees or acknowledge anything strange. After grabbing some food, we decided to hang around the park for a bit, but as it started to get dark, we knew we had to make our way back. The paddock was almost right in front of my house, and I was familiar with the goats and horse that lived there, but I noticed there were no cows. Little did I know that was about to become important. As we were walking, we suddenly heard a screeching noise that sounded like a cow being attacked. I was unsure if I was hallucinating, so I turned to my friend and asked if she had heard it too. She confirmed that she did, and 
that's when I knew we had to stay calm and quietly make our way to the front of my house. I could feel the anxiety rising within us as we walked, the feeling of being watched looming over us. This wasn't the first time this had happened to us. We had encountered a small snake that turned into a feral dog and chased us back to my house before. It seemed like we were always in the wrong place at the wrong time. Finally, we made it to the front of the house and breathed a sigh of relief. The rest of the night was spent with us, feeling uneasy, but luckily, nothing else happened. Looking back on that night, I realized how important it was to stay calm and not make any sudden movements. It's always better to be safe than sorry, especially when it comes to encounters with unknown creatures. When I was 13, 14, me and my friends would sneak out and go hang out with our boyfriends out in the middle of nowhere. We lived basically in the middle of nowhere. So going to random back roads was pretty much our only option for having fun. We would go to this place called the locals called the Tunnel. It was just a dirt road with tall trees and overgrown willows on both sides. It was very secluded. So we would go there to drink beer, smoke weed, and make out with our boyfriends. They would always tell us spooky stories of a large black dog that would chase their car every time they went down there at night. They said one time they went there during the day and they saw the dog dead and mangled on the side of the road. The next time they went back at night, the black dog was alive and well and chasing after their car again. I knew they were just telling us these stories to scare us, and I wasn't sure if I really believed them, since I had came down to this place with them a few times, and I had never seen the black dog. One night around one or two in the morning, we were sitting in our friend's car in the tunnel. We had all been drinking and smoking weed. We were all joking and laughing when suddenly the driver whispers, what is that up there? I looked and didn't see anything, so I replied, there's nothing up there. Your eyes are playing tricks on you. No, seriously, there's something in the road up there, he replies. The guy sitting in the passenger seat agrees and says he sees something too. The driver puts the car in drive and starts slowly rolling forward and a figure emerges from the dark. A man in shorts is standing in the middle of the road watching us drive towards him. This is a dirt road in the middle of nowhere at two in the morning on a very cold fall night, and this man is standing in the road wearing nothing but shorts. Not even shoes on, just shorts. What the F is he doing? The driver says as he pushes on the brakes and stops the car. We all stare for a moment at this man just staring at us. His eyes were glowing like a deer's eyes do in headlights. I've never seen a person's eyes glow like that before. We all start freaking out, and then the driver says of this, and starts driving forward. Fast. The man just keeps staring at us until we get about ten feet away, and then he just calmly walks to the side of the road and vanishes. There was nowhere for him to go. There were six feet tall fences with willows overgrown over the fence, making the barrier at least ten feet tall. No human man could have cleared all of that. I still can't explain it to this day. I lived in an apartment in Durham that was badly haunted. 
For almost six months, I was visited by a demonic entity at night that came from the woods out back. It's a whole story, but the boyfriend independently confirmed what I was seeing without me mentioning a thing. And that told me I wasn't going crazy. It made me so sick I almost died. Three years later, and I'm slowly recovering. We had to have the house blessed, which I've never done before, but it was a last-ditch effort. Moved to a new location, and both the boyfriend and I have seen spirits walking around the home. Luckily, nothing demonic. I would normally think I'm crazy, but when you have someone else independently verify things you begin to trust, it's actually happening. One night we both saw his father come down the stairs and walked into the kitchen. His father has Parkinson's, and the entity was so vivid we thought he passed upstairs in his room. After ourselves, we both go running to check on him, and he was fine in the shower. So many experiences, and even the ones I'm talking about, have much more to the story. I've experienced stuff like this my whole life, but the area here is very active. I did learn that a huge war was fought in Durham, so perhaps that's the reason. I'll probably never know.